taken from the Gospel of Luke and chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We're beginning to read from verse 20. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here, or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is, is within you. And he said unto his disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things, and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his wife, life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken. 
the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. May the Lord bless to us that reading from his word. Our next hymn is number 57. Hymn number 57. Father of heaven, whose love profound a ransom for our souls hath found. Father, once more we approach unto thee. We thank thee that we can call thee Father, though thou art the divine, everlasting God. O Lord, we humble ourselves, for though, Lord, we are bidden to come, yet, Lord, we know that we are sinners. And we thank thee, Lord, for redemption. We thank thee for the forgiveness of sins. We thank thee, Lord, that the curse placed upon our first parents and upon this world is reversed for us in time. O Lord, though now we see the consequences of it all around us, in our own lives and in the world, we see a world, Lord, heading away from Thee. O Lord, desiring to remove God from the mind of men. But Lord, we know 
that thy purposes are unchanged. Thy sovereign will will be done. And Lord, we thank thee for these certainties in uncertain times. And Lord, we do pray for the churches in our day. Oh Lord, we see it seems we are easily troubled and rocked and unsettled by events that surround us. And we pray that it would not be so, but that we would stand on the rock Christ Jesus, that we would claim his promises. Lord, that we would continue our mission and our journey. Oh Lord, what a catalogue of examples we have in the scriptures of those that have gone before us, of the patriarchs and saints and prophets and apostles and down the ages who have stood firm, oh Lord, who have been faithful, though, Lord, that their weaknesses have been exposed, their frailties and failings just as us, and yet, Lord, thou didst keep them and preserve them and encourage them and use them. Lord, we pray that thou wouldst use us in our generation. We pray that our lives would count. Lord, that they would stand out. Lord, that it would be for grace and for kindness and for the gospel message that we are known. Oh, Lord, not as contenders or troublemakers. Oh, Lord, may we commend the gospel by our very uh, characters. We pray, Lord, that thou wouldst continue to reform us continue that work, Lord. May we not settle. May we not look back. May we not be uh, complacent or satisfied. For, Lord, we are ever short of that standard where we ought to be. And, Lord, we do pray for grace in the Christian life and in the Christian walk. We pray, Lord, for new discoveries of thy blessing and thy power, new insights into thy word. We pray that we we would walk circumspectly, that we would avoid sin, Lord, that we would mortify the flesh. Oh, Lord, we thank thee that we have so much help from above, but we recognize that we live in a very dangerous day. Lord, we pray again for the churches, not only that thou wouldst preserve them, but, Lord, that they would reach out with the gospel. Lord, that pastors and preachers would proclaim that everlasting uh, gospel of Christ, of redemption, to their communities, to children, Oh, Lord, do raise up those men who uh, will be uh, pastors and ministers for thee. We thank thee, Lord, for our brother Jason, who will be taking up a pastorate soon in the coming weeks. And we thank thee for him and for his family. And we pray thy blessing upon him as he moves and settles in Chichester there. We pray, Lord, that thou wouldst bring in those in whom thou wilt bring salvation and redemption and add to thy church. Lord, we do pray for workers in different lands, those who are troubled and afflicted. We see a very unsettled political landscape and much social division and unrest. Oh, Lord, we pray in such times that thou wouldst keep thy people and preserve them. We pray for the work in Sri Lanka. Oh, Lord, we thank thee for it. But we look not only backwards, but we look to the future and pray that those churches would be strong that they would be spiritual, O oh Lord, that they would have a testimony, that they would be faithful. We pray for Pastor Jayakanth and others too involved in that work. Do bless and strengthen and help them, we pray. Lord, we do pray for this fellowship. Lord, do preserve it. And not only preserve it, Lord, but add to it. Bring in a, a servant of thine that will be an under-shepherd here, that will pastor the flock. O oh Lord, we plead these things that... Thy name might be glorified. 
Lord, we do pray for uh, those of us going through difficulties and troubles and uncertainties and trials. Oh, Lord, we read often that this is for the refining of our faith and this is for the strengthening of our hearts. And, Lord, though it is difficult, may we see thy purposes. May we see inner strength, though the outer man, man might fail. And, Lord, we pray finally for any who are not yet in the kingdom that the message of the scripture the savior set forth as he has walked upon this earth as he was prophesied as he has ascended on high as he will return again that that same savior might be seen by many and lord not just as a religious figure but as their own savior the one who died for them who brought them back with a price lord bless the gospel today and all that takes place as we meet with one another, as we fellowship together, as we praise Thee and serve Thee. We ask these blessings in the name of our Saviour and for His glory. Amen. We sing our next hymn together, which is number 318. Hymn number 318. Spirit of faith, come down, reveal the things of God.
And my text really is uh, a short one, but we will look at other parts of this chapter. And it's that verse 32, where the Lord Jesus Christ says, Remember Lot's wife. Just those three words. But how much is encapsulated? How much is covered by uh, that uh, exhortation? And how serious and important it is. And the Lord Jesus gives it in the context of answering that question about end times. But of course those uh, teachings are for us now because the events that are referred to happened a long time ago. But they uh, resonate across the centuries for us. And uh, there's two major events that the Lord Jesus speaks of in this passage. Indeed throughout the scriptures these are probably the preeminent Uh, examples of judgment that the world has seen. Though the world prefers to deny these things and forget about them. And of course the first is the flood which is mentioned here. Uh, As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the Son of Man. That's in verse 26. And uh, then the second example from which we get our text is Sodom. The sudden destruction of Sodom. Well it wasn't just Sodom. And not just Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the cities of the plain. So that entire region uh, was destroyed. Um, and that's, the account is very full. Uh, it begins there in Genesis chapter 18. And a lot of detail is provided for us in chapter 19 of Genesis. And we'll allude to a number of those things also. So uh, that's how it is. This is a picture of how it will be at the end of time. So uh, so it shall be, it says, in the days of the Son of Man, that's about Noah, and then the Lord Jesus says in verse 28, likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot. And so these two are examples that people were just going about their lives. Now the end of the world, of course, is future, obviously. It hasn't happened yet, but it is going to happen. And if we think, well, that's a dramatic event that I may not be around for, but we may, you never know. Certainly, the end of the world uh, is unique for each one of us. The end of our lives is effectively the end of the world for us. And so we needn't think these are just future events that uh, for another generation, because all of us must face the inevitable end of our lives and the end of our world. And uh, these two events, as I said, teach us so many things. So my first heading, if you like, is life without God. Life without God. And that was always the norm. If we're believers, believing people, then of course our hearts and minds are in the things of God. They're uh, interested in the welfare of the church down the centuries and in our day. We're in the scriptures. We fellowship one with another. And so we may easily forget that this is not normal. That for probably the vast majority, well certainly the vast majority of people, it's life without God. That's how they live their lives. And that's the norm. And nothing is new under the sun. So Noah says, uh, rather the Lord Jesus refers to the people in the days of Noah. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. They were just getting on with their lives. Yes, there was wickedness. Yes, there was sin. 
and rebellion. And yes, that had to be punished. There came a point, and we'll look at that. But what the Lord Jesus is uh, mentioning here is uh, a couple of things. One is that they were just uh, living as if there would be no day of judgment. There would be no end to their lives. They got on with their lives. They did, if you like, ordinary things. They married and gave in marriage. They ate and they drank. And so the other point is they were totally unprepared. It came as a complete shock to them. They mocked, no doubt, Noah as he built the ark. Thought, what is this foolish man doing? Until it was too late. And it's exactly the same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. So this teaches us that this is typical of people everywhere, and not just of that age. In fact, we have far too much now in common with those cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities uh, than we care to mention, really. But uh, he gives us further detail uh, in verse 28. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. So they, they got on with lives. They lived as if there was no God. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone. So the same points can be made. So I wonder if any of us here or anyone who hears this are like this. Life without God. No awareness. Nowhere in their horizons. No doubt these people had gods, but they were not gods of power. They were idols. They were gods that uh, allowed them their immoral lives. They were gods that they looked to, imagining that they would bring them increase in their crops and fertility and uh, welfare and wealth. They looked for earthly blessings. So they no doubt had a form of religion. And I suppose people have forms of religions or belief even now, even if it's not Christian, that uh, their philosophy, their approach will bring them uh, uh, great uh, success and help in life. But essentially, it was out of their view. It was not on the horizon whatsoever. And isn't that the case with us before we were converted? Wasn't there a time where this had no interest for us, no relevance for us? Uh, didn't, we couldn't relate to it. It was something religious that we couldn't understand. But uh, so why, was, why were these people uh, judged? Why did it come to them? Why did it have to happen? Well, obviously, it was there as a record that God must judge sin. You can't overlook it. Uh, and what were the sins? Well, we think of the notorious sin of Sodom and Gomorrah as immorality. But I don't know if a lot of people know that it wasn't just that. Behind that terrible immorality was an attitude of heart and mind that probably brought or allowed such a condition to come in upon them. And I'm sure that's the case in our society today. So in Ezekiel, uh, the prophet there gives more information about why these cities of the plain were judged. So I read from Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 49. Needn't turn to it. Uh, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. And then the list follows. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty 
and committed abomination before me. That abomination is what we perhaps best know of. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. But you see there really a number of sins which are in the human heart that God sees our pride, our self-satisfaction, our filling our own lives with our own desires, our uncaring spirit for others around us, uh, haughty, and uh, therefore eventually in time the Lord had to bring judgment upon them. So there it is. We're beginning to be like them. All of those characteristics uh, can be found in our society. You will find that people give generously, in inverted commas, to the poor, but it doesn't cost them very much, and it's just to solve the conscience. But by and large, the age we live in is just like it was in those cities, just making our plans and building and eating and drinking and self-satisfied. And, of course, uh, no God. And so immorality and sinfulness waxes worse and worse. Uh, And this is our condition. Now, if people think, well, these, first of all, these stories are just old Bible stories, which are are just uh, fictional and mythical. But they might also think, well, this is so cruel and vindictive. Uh, How can God do this to a people? How can he just wipe away the human race, almost all of the human race, uh, save eight souls in the case of Noah, But in those cities of the plain, many hundreds, probably thousands of people destroyed in a moment. How can he do that? Isn't that arbitrary? Isn't that capricious and cruel? Absolutely not. Because the Lord is, in fact, very, very long-suffering and very, very patient. And he had given them ample opportunity. Lot was there. Now, Lot was a godly man. We're told that in Peter, I'll read a quote in a minute from the second letter of Peter. They had a witness. Abraham wasn't very far away. So the people of God were around and about, but they ignored that truth. They preferred their own lifestyle. They didn't want God there. But uh, this is God, and uh, I quote from Second Peter 3. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. So that's the opposite extreme. That's saying, actually, people might think, well, the Lord isn't coming. Uh, We're doing all sorts of things. There's no God. We're getting away with all kinds of things. But there's a warning here. He's not slack concerning his promise. But why doesn't he judge us straight away? But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. That's his heart to mankind. He's not cruel or vindictive but that all should come to repentance. So that's what he would prefer. But, Peter goes on to say, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And so it did come to those generations. And it is coming to all who reject God. And it is a a stern, serious message. But this is the message of Christ. This is what he speaks of. This is the man of sorrows. This is the savior of mankind. And he came to save us from sin. He came to die on the cross. But he had to warn us. We have to take these things seriously. He's not just a sort of self-help person, not just to give us counsel and advice. 
He has to tell us, tell it as it is, that without redemption and without salvation, our lot is completely uh, to be lost and to be punished. So uh, there it is. There's another uh, verse, perhaps I can turn to it, and it's in Genesis uh, chapter 18. It's a famous one because there's a build-up, actually, to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it begins there. You might uh, know this account where uh, Sarah and Abraham are there in their tents, and they had a visitation from the Lord and two others, two angels. It seems that those two angels were the ones that went on down into Sodom and were the agents of the destruction. Uh, And uh, there's this great discussion. We shouldn't spend too long on this, but it's very interesting, that Abraham is actually quite concerned. He has Lot, his nephew, there. And uh, it's been intimated to him that the following day, this judgment is going to fall on the cities of the plain. And several verses are given where Abraham reasons with the Lord uh, very carefully and respectfully and reverently. But he says, will you judge them if you find 50 souls there, 50 righteous? The Lord says, no. 40? No. Right down to 10. And the Lord says, I will not destroy those cities if there are 10 righteous people there. And uh, this well-known verse. And we need to have this in our minds, lest we think that God is cruel or vindictive. But Abraham says to the Lord, Be that far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And we need to remember that in all of God's dealings with us. That what we receive eventually, unless we have salvation, is only that which is right, only that which is fitting. So God's justice and patience, eventually it must be applied. I mean, imagine a world without any law. Imagine a world without any law enforcement, or no courts, or magistrates, or judges, legal counsel, representation. We take these things for granted. Even in this imperfect world, we have the right of appeal, we, uh, 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 we have uh, recourse to law. Um, you have people on death row, whether you agree with that or not, but they are often there for years because they exhaust every possible option to ensure that their final sentence is right. Mistakes are made. But if we're so careful and respectful of law and legality and justice, then surely the God of all the earth who gave us these things in the first place must himself apply those standards, but perfectly. In our legal system, of course, we can debate that uh, all is not always fair and so on, but generally the aim is that uh, the right result is applied in the end. And so it was with Sodom. Eventually, all recourse, all appeals had been exhausted. All offers refused, and we'll see this in a little bit more detail. But you have to think, how does this apply to me? Now, if you're a believer, then we are pictured as Lot. We have been delivered. We're pictured as Noah and his family who have escaped. Not through our own merits. Not at all. Uh, Just Lot. He was called just, and so was Noah. They were justified. They weren't intrinsically right or better than anybody else, but they had trusted in 
God. So the time had ripened, and the angels had reported, uh, this had more detail is given in chapter uh, 18 of Genesis, but in chapter 19 and verse 13, the angels, when they appeared to Lot, had reported that a report had come to the Lord. Uh, They had been sent by the Lord to destroy the cities as the cry of them had waxen great before the face of the Lord. In other words, the offense, it had waxen, it had increased. And this is just a form of expression. Of course, God is not somehow remote and unaware of what goes on. This is just how it's explained in simple language for our understanding. That he sees all that takes place. Not just in nations, but in hearts. He sees our inner condition. He sees our persistent refusal of mercy. He sees the darkening of our minds whereby we like to pretend that there is no God. Or that if there is a God, then he'll accept us. We're not too bad after all. He sees all of that self-delusion. He sees it. And the cry reaches up to him. And so he needs to take action. But, if this all sounds very gloomy, well, it should do in a sense. It is serious. But gospel pleadings come in. This is the gospel. This is the Savior who spoke these words. These words of warning. And he's not there to frighten people. He came himself to offer himself. He loved those that would come to him. And so there are gospel pleadings, which would be another heading. So even on the eve of this event, at the 11th hour, if you like, there are those that are are appealed to. This is the situation. It is extremely serious. It is going to happen. Justice must be applied. But if you will, if you are willing, there is a way out. And there's nothing for you to do except accept that. To humbly acknowledge that this is me, that I must face the judge of all the earth, that I will have no defense, that I'll have to admit everything, all the evidence will be there, that I've sinned away my life. But in spite of that, this is the gospel of good news. And uh, uh, there's characters, there are a number of people in this account in Genesis 19 who represents you who do you identify with there's a couple we could look at so in Genesis 19:14 I'm not reading the account in Genesis just referring back to it Lot warned his sons-in-law he had two daughters and the angels came you know the account and they stayed with Lot that night and during the course of the night uh, Lot warned his sons-in-law that they, they must get ready These men are here. We've got to flee on the morrow, in the morning. First light, probably. And this was their response. They said, it seemed as one who mocked. That's what they thought of Lot. He seemed as one who mocked. Is that how you respond to the gospel? They thought, this old man, we've got to be loyal because we're married to his daughters. This old religious man, he's delusional. He's completely lost it. Look at our city. It's a lovely evening. 
People are getting on with their lives, building, eating, drinking, and all the rest of it. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? And I'm afraid that that is often the response, certainly of our generation as a whole, to the gospel. Whereas people have mocked, you religious people, we tolerate you, but I think you're all delusional. There's something wrong with you. And that's the response to the gospel. But is it you? Could it possibly be yourself, anyone listening to this, that you think, this is nonsense. This is foolishness. I will have nothing to do with it. That's one response. But then we look at, um, in the next verse, verse 15, Genesis 19, Lot himself. Now this is interesting because Lot, we know, was a godly man. The New Testament tells us that. And though he was perhaps foolish in pitching his tents, as the scripture says, towards Sodom, that he was attracted to maybe some of those things, not the immoral things, not the sinful things, but maybe the opportunities and the position that he wouldn't have had out in the wilderness in the, with his flocks, with his uncle Abraham. But anyhow, he was a godly man. But we note the text says that the angels hastened Lot. He himself seemed to take some persuading. Not that he wasn't going to go, but perhaps he didn't appreciate the urgency. And so it says that they hastened him. And they said, Arise. This must be the following morning now. Take your wife and daughters. Arise. You have to get up. It's no good just saying, Oh, I believe this. This is credible. You know, I think you could be right. But uh, I'm just, I've got things to do today. I believe you. I believe everything you're saying, but not right now. Not immediately. I'll get around to it. I'll deal with that issue. That's a dangerous position. Had Lot lingered longer, had the angels not hastened him, had he not responded to that command, arise, arise, he must have been slumbering or just not fully functioning yet. And this is urgent. So you need to ask yourself, how are you responding to this message of Christ, of the Bible, telling you that you've got to leave behind the old life, flee from sin, flee from destruction? Uh, how will you respond? And it says in verse 60 that it was because of the mercy of God that's what the text says, because of the mercy of God. This was the expression of God's mercy to Lot, to his family. Mercy. In other words, it wasn't because Lot deserved it, because he was better than the others. Hopefully he was, because he was a believing man. But he was just a saved sinner. But God was merciful to him. And that's the application of mercy Arise and take your wife and daughters. So there it is. And furthermore, the angels actually had to get hold of them. It's remarkable. There's so, many, so much detail when you break it down. It wasn't just, come on, Lot, we've got to get going. It's like, come on, Lot, get going. And they actually had to take their hands on them and pull them out. And that's the mercy of God. And maybe that's us. We, want, we should become Christians. We ought to respond and we're kind of moving in the direction. 
but pray that God would, as it were, lay his hands upon us and pull us out and uh, draw us to that place of safety. The Lord being merciful unto him is what it says. In the next verse, 17, they brought them out of the city. They had to escape for their lives. Now, this is dramatic. Of course it is. The events were extremely dramatic and unusual and exceptional. But we learn the lesson from it. That's not literally happening in our day, but it might as well. It might as well for your soul's sake. It is that serious. You do have to flee in the same manner, with the same urgency. It's no different, ultimately. Physically, they were to be delivered to live on their lives, and spiritually also. But for us, our souls need to be delivered. And though this was all of grace, as you can see, there was no uh, effort on their part, no merit, no preparation even. All was done for them. The angels came to their house, urged them, told them what to do, led them out by the hand, took them out of the city. All done for them. But what we need to do is comply. Make ourselves available. Accept grace. Accept grace. It can't be too hard, can it? And yet we make it hard for ourselves. So they were brought out of the city, escaped for their life, and here's the command which then is relevant later on for Lot's wife. Look not behind thee. I'm sure most of us are familiar with Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And you know how there at the beginning, Christian, the main character, lives in what he calls the city of destruction. Well, that was his term, I suppose, because the other residents, inhabitants, didn't see it that way. His family, his wife, didn't see it that way. But it was to him the city of destruction. He had come to understand that this world was ripe for judgment. And he had to flee from it. He had to leave it behind and venture out, not knowing really where he was going, but trusting in that leading of the Spirit, trusting that he would find the cross where he did lose his burden. He went through the wicked gate. He went through the slough of despond. He went alone. There were others that traveled with him for a while who then left him. There were some along the pathway. Well, I shouldn't get distracted into Pilgrim's progress, but some who misled him, but he persevered. And uh, that's what we need to do. We need to flee from the city of destruction. We need to desire a new country. Now, that's not geographically, of course. When you become a Christian, you don't move house. But you are in a new country, or you're seeking a new country. You're seeking the kingdom of heaven. You're in the kingdom of heaven. As the Lord Jesus mentioned in response to the question, uh, it says, the kingdom of heaven cometh not with observation. And it says, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Within you. It's by faith. You've appropriated it. You belong. You're converted. You're changed. Here and now. And even before the full revelation of the new order of things. So they had to look not behind them. Have no yearnings for the old sinful life. Come to that point. If you're half-hearted or even three-quarter-hearted, it's not sufficient. Yes, you may have a battle. Yes, you may struggle. 
it may be hard, but you have to come to a point where you're ready to say, I will leave the world behind in its entirety. I have to. I can't take anything with me. They must have traveled light, I dare say. They had almost nothing. Uh, it's not uh, stated in the text. And the Lord Jesus gives an equivalent uh, teaching in the New Testament, Luke 9, 62. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. It's the same idea, isn't it? When we come to Christ, when we leave behind the world, it's totally committed. It's not half and half. It's not going back. In that account, some wanted to go back and bid farewell and bury this person and do that thing. No. It must be a clean break. And the next heading would be the day of judgment. Well, there is a day of judgment coming. Those people didn't believe it. And the same is true today. The vast majority of people ridicule the idea. It's nonsense. But uh, they're storing up for themselves that terrible shock. As it happened to those long time ago, it'll happen again. And there have been token judgments down through history. They never imagined that day was coming. Lot was a righteous man, Second Peter 2, 7 and 8. He was called Just Lot. And he's referred to as that righteous man dwelling among them. And as I've hinted before, he was ignored. I'm sure he tried to witness and tell of his God. I'm sure he did. He would have recounted how God had led his Abraham, called him out, and God had dealt with him. But he was entirely ignored. He wasn't respected. He was mocked. And it's the same, generally speaking, with the gospel today. It's uh, counted as nothing. An offense. We don't mean to offend. We seek to represent Christ and appeal to people with genuineness, with urgency, with feeling. But there it was. He was uh, ignored. And the cities were destroyed and overthrown in an act of judicious punishment. They were. The world was destroyed under Noah's flood. Why? Because it was deserved. That's all. Because it was just. Because justice had to be applied. Not our justice. We reflect the justice of God in a measure, in a weaker, much weaker form. But God, the pure judge, the just and holy one, must have justice. It's his universe, don't forget. It's his world, not ours. He's placed us within it to enjoy, yes, to glorify him, absolutely. But we don't make the rules. Those rules are set down, and they're beautiful and wonderful and glorious and safe. But we hate them because of our rebellious nature, because of our sinfulness. And so that's why they were destroyed. So, the point is that sin must be punished. But what of you and me? If we were to uh, take our own punishment, then we would be like those citizens of those cities. We would receive a sudden judgment. Our lives would be over. We'd be banished eternally. So, if we're not to suffer the same, then who does? Or how do we escape 
Well, it's very simple. You know the gospel. Then someone else must suffer. Someone else must receive our penalty. That that sin is punished. Well, you know, of course, that that was Christ on Calvary. And the events in the cities of the plain are extremely dramatic. I always think it's very poignant and interesting that Abraham, the next day, looked down over the cities and he saw the smoke arising like a great furnace. And he must have wondered at those things, that demonstration of God's power. He must have trusted that his nephew Lot had escaped, but he had seen the judge of all the earth applying his justice. Well, in a measure and in a mysterious way, that was applied to Jesus Christ, to our Savior. That uh, fire and brimstone, it says here in verse 29 of Luke 17, that same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And in a mysterious way, that's what rained down upon Christ on the cross in a hidden way that we can't look into. Not literally as in that account, but in some unseen way. He was punished. He bore that which we should have borne and gave us his righteousness. And that's the teaching of the scripture throughout. Perhaps one of the best known verses, of course, is uh, Isaiah 53. And just some uh, verses from there, 53.10 says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him, his son. He, God the Father, hath put him, the son, to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And that's the way out. That's why Lot and his family escaped. That's why Noah and his family escaped. That's why all of us do. Because the Savior cared for us and stood in our place and took the smart and punishment and bore it all away. But really, as we come to conclusion, our text, you'd think, well, you haven't really touched on the text much, but that text is the heading over these events. But let's look at it briefly as we conclude. Remember Lot's wife. Well, the Lord Jesus emphasized that, didn't he? He said it to those listening. In the context of what I've been saying, I pick out and single out Lot's wife. Remember her, because much can be taught. And this could be a third or fourth category of suggested who, might, who you might be represented in the accounts here. Are you like those sons who mocked? Are you like others who were reluctant? Are you like Lot's wife? His wife looked back, the scripture says in Genesis 19.26, but his wife looked back from behind him. She was almost out. She was there. Safety was in view. But she looked back. Why? Well, her heart was not in the escape. It wasn't really in the whole plan. She went along with it. She outwardly conformed. She was the wife of Lot. Lot was a magistrate or judge. And actually, even there, the men of the town and city mocked him. He says, you come here as a judge. Who do you think you are? But So she was a respectable woman. Perhaps outwardly, a godly woman. A worshipping woman. But probably not a converted woman. She had gone so far. But as she looked back, her heart was torn. In that moment... Her true affections were revealed. They were there. Everything she had hoped for and lived for was 
back in that city, she suddenly cast her mind and reflected and surveyed everything and wanted it more than wanting escape. Her heart was revealed and uh, her choice came. In a sense, her inner choice was revealed. And that's a very dangerous position. I wonder if there are any of us like that. We've gone along with the gospel. We've gone along with the teaching of the Bible. So far as we can accommodate our lives to it and live reasonably within those bounds, societal expectations. But when it really comes to it, our heart is not for the Lord. It's not ready to give up everything. It's not ready to follow Him. It hasn't seen the seriousness of the situation. And uh, that's a, a dangerous position to be in, despite all the drama that was around her. It seems insane, doesn't it? What she did. A moment of madness. But she was judged. She didn't escape. And moreover, the Lord singles her out for us to focus on and remember as a warning. That's the final warning. So remember Lot's wife. But more than that, remember Christ's love. Remember his deliverance. Accept his invitation. There is a way of escape. There is eternal life. And that's what's being offered to us unchangingly. Well, may we be blessed by these thoughts this morning. Amen. So we'll sing our final hymn together, number 559. Hymn number 559. Sinners Jesus will receive, tell this word of grace to all.